Good evening. This lecture will be the Refuat Yuda Ben Chaya, Miriam Bat Yosef, Mordechai Shaya Shalom, Baruch Shaya Shalom, Ben Rivka. Hana Batesia, Refuat Shalom. I want everyone to keep updating the app every week, my app because we keep making it better and better. We're improving things, we're adding things. Now it remembers where you left automatically. So we're getting better every week. So, yeah, we fix it. Everything that you can have in the app, this app eventually will have. We have a list of things, so every week it fixes more and more stuff. Baruch Hashem, I think the live broadcast work a lot better now. There's less complaints, so it's getting better. Baruch Hashem. We are uh, a week before Hanukkah. Next week, I'm still gonna be here. I'm gonna speak in Queens on Monday and here on Tuesday. That will be the last show before I go to Israel. So we have this week and next week. Bezrat Hashem. Last week's uh, lecture, I, we did not post yet. We will post it in uh, December 6th or 7th, something like that. That's when I already be in Israel, Bezrat Hashem. Parashat uh, Vaishlach, I started to speak about yesterday, I still left some things I did not finish. Uh, it's known as the, the words of the, of the Rambam. But before we get into the words of the Rambam, is uh, the meeting between Yaakov and Esav teaching us a little bit about everyday tests that we have in our life especially in this generation when there's so many Balei Tshuva and, uh, and they come from wicked families, families of ignorant people or wicked people or people that are anti-Torah. You know, there's different levels of, of secular people. Some are ignorant. They don't have any opinion. Some are, they know the truth and ignore it. Some hate it, fight it. Different level of wicked people. Not everyone equal. <coughs> One of the of the problems is that when you have close relative, and he's not religious, that's one of the hardest things to handle. Because when it's a neighbor or a stranger, you cut him out in a second and it's over. It's not a brother. You have to see him in family events or anything like this. Said to them, I'm not interested that your, the influence of your children would ruin my children. I'm sorry. Stay away from us. That's it. As, as painful as it may get. What do you do when it's parents? It's your parents, meaning the grandparents of the kids. Or a brother, or your sister, or even your own son. You can have a son that went off the derech. You have an ultra-Orthodox family, and he is already dressed like a non-Jew. And he wants to join you on holidays. And you still have young kids, very young. Maybe four, maybe six, maybe eight. Obviously, he's going to be with them for two days of Yom Tov, and will inject his poison into your little children's mind, right? And then what's going to happen? What is going to happen? once, twice like that, and the kids will follow his uh, footsteps. Sometimes children like this that went off the derech, they know that they are off the derech. 
they admit that they are off the derech. Meaning they're not claiming, ah, I have the right truth and you don't have the truth. So when they admit that their way is wrong and you speak to them before when they want to be invited and you tell them, listen, we, we would love to have you over, but you have to be very careful. You have to dress properly. You have to come with a kippah. And you only tell the kids that their way is the right way. Don't do the mistake I made. Things like these can actually help. But it's the pen. It's the pen what kind of a, of a son you have. If this son on purpose is be there and he wants to bring other brothers with him down to Gehenom, then you're not allowed to bring him in with all the pain and the, and the guilty feeling you may have. When you have one rotten apple in a basket, you gotta get rid of it. If you keep it in a basket, all other seven apples will be rotten in a day. And sometimes, you know, you don't like to throw an apple to the garbage, better to throw one than to throw eight. Unfortunately, it sounds horrible, but it is what it is. Many times in life we have to make a choice between bad and even worse. There's really no good and bad sometimes. Sometimes it's very bad and sometimes between very bad and bad. You're going to choose the bad. What can you do? It's a very common thing. There was a, one time a case many years ago of a Baal Tshuva who married a Baal Tshuva. And her mother was the most wicked person I ever spoke to when it comes to anti-religion. Very nasty woman, very dirty, very arrogant, very aggressive, very selfish, threatening, cursing, mamash a real low life. And her daughter, the exact opposite. Nice, classy, quiet, shy, righteous. Bala tshuva. And the husband of the daughter, same thing. Nice guy, great guy, love Torah, learn, daven, nice, beautiful. So they had a little kid. And who wants to be with a kid all day? This horrible grandma. Dead sentence to that kid. Dead sentence. They beg the grandma, don't let her watch television. Don't let her eat not kosher. On purpose she was doing it. She hated the religion so much. She hated her, her, her son-in-law and her daughter so much for becoming religious that she did everything she can to kidnap and destroy the daughter. So what do you think happened? They moved away. They took the girl one day and disappeared. Disappeared. What does it mean disappear? She didn't know where they moved to. She didn't, they didn't tell her. She was looking for them for a long, long time. Until she found out where they are. It got so nasty, so terrible. She wanted to get the police involved. She didn't have any case, but she threatened. She tried every dirty trick you can. So, what do you do in a case like this? <coughs> do you surrender to such an evil person? Is she more important than your own kids? You want her to make the kids anti-Torah and become uh, liars and, and arrogant like her and use dirty language? 
she's going to be a death sentence to your children. This is one, one test that some Baalei Tshuva has to go in this generation. Sometimes the parents are not hostile. They're not religious, but they respect. They come, the mother is going to cover the hair, put a jacket on her. They respect the place where they are. People like this, there's no reason to take actions against them. They're not a threat. Adraba, they may, they may see how lovely is the family, maybe we'll give them some thoughts to change themselves. And sometimes you did see cases like this, that the grandkids actually made the grandparents religious. So Abotai, every case like this, is not always you can decide on your own. You have to consult with the Chacham. You tell them exactly what this is. They may ask you a few questions, how they behave when they come. Well, for instance, would they come with a car in the middle of Shabbat? Shabbat started now at 5, 5 p.m. Will they show up at 8 with their car into the, your driveway? That's a horrible example for the children. Or would they come before Shabbat and respect and stay until after Shabbat? Or maybe they walk. Maybe they leave 10 minutes, 15 minutes walk, so they won't come with a car. Or maybe they come with a car, but they park one block away because they don't want the kids to see that they came. Or if the father is a smoker, will he come to the terrace and smoke next to the kids that are sitting in the living room? Or he will hold himself a few hours until they leave and then he will smoke. It's a lot of questions. In Chinuch, in edu education of your children, sometimes one mistake is already too much. It's a destruction of the kid. One mistake, one bad thing you did in front of your kid can be a poison that will constantly kill them day after day, night after night for their entire life. They'll never leave their head. Sometimes there's uh, one moment on your life that design who you are. Like Rav Chaim Kanievsky, yesterday I spoke about it in my lecture in Queens. When he was a kid, he threw a rock into a glass of the room of the Chazonish. Broke the glass and the stone fell right into his room. Got very scared. He came out to see who did it. Who did he see? His nephew. Rav Chaim Kanievsky. So he came to him and gave him such a smack. And then his mother which is the sister of Chazonish. She was shocked. And he told her, I want you to know, never in my life I smacked anyone. The first time I gave someone a smack. So she was so nervous. Wow, Chazonish, the holy Chazonish, I had to give my son a smack. And Rafael Kanievsky said, the only, if he can point at what made him Rav Chaim Kanievsky, is the smack he got from the Chazonish. That smack changed his whole life for the better. Today, if you give a kid a smack, don't be surprised if it will be a drug addict on the street a month later. The ego and the chutzpah of the kids today is so high that one little thing you do to them, immediately they want to rebel. They will destroy themselves as long as they can hurt you. Not always, some kids. That's why today I told you many times already, 
Today, no violence is allowed. We're living in a different generation. That the Gemara says, "Chutzpah tisge." The chutzpah will rise to the highest you can imagine. And when people have chutzpah, arrogance, when you do something against them, even though you are right and they are wrong, they don't care who's right. They just look at it as a you attack them and they have to get you back. That's all they have in their mind. They, they cannot stop and say, wait a minute, who is right, me or him? Well, it, it was right. They don't think like that. So the Rambam says that in Ilchot Deot chapter 6, we all know a person is influenced by his environment. Right? If a person comes to a synagogue that everybody talks there, in the middle of Davini, chanting, all the entire three hours on Shabbat. Even he in the beginning gets very upset. He moved, let's say, to the town or whatever. He is not used to talk. He was actually careful about it. He respects the shul. How many weeks you think it will take until he will join the party? How many weeks? One month, two months, three months. Then all of a sudden you come here later and you see he's the head of the talkers. What happened? In the, in the first month you were going crazy here, bang on the table. You went shh. There is a sad joke. There is a sad joke. You know what the sad joke says? The sad joke says, how do you know when you became from? Now you're bal tshuva. How do you know when you can already call yourself I'm from? When you begin to talk in shul. <laughs> Why? Because the Baalei Tshuva, they don't dare to talk in shul. Because I did not become religious to become a criminal. If I already changed my uh, secular ways, I might as well come to shul to pray. In some of the synagogues they have a sign. If you come to shul to talk, where exactly you will pray? <laughs> right? You have, you have yourself no option. So the Rambam continued. And he said, sometimes a person is in a rush, always in a rush. So he takes out the tefillin before it's finished. He folds everything quickly, packing his stuff, putting his coat on, you would think to yourself, well, I'm trying to say five minutes. I want to catch the bus of 9 a.m. and not 9.15. When I get to, to the business 15 minutes earlier. So I leave uh, five minutes before Alain Shabeach. And on the way to the bus, I say the rest, right? What's so bad? The problem is that after you, you're going to see five, six more people doing the same thing. That's called Poretz Gader. The one, the first one who broke the fence, and then everybody walks through <coughs> that path. Who has the biggest punishment? Ten people walk through someone's backyard without permission. There was a fence there, someone broke the fence, walked through, because they didn't want to go around the block, and now another one goes, and another one, every minute somebody else pass, go through this path. They all do the same thing without permission, obviously. They all do without permission. The question is, who gets the biggest punishment? The first one. By how much more? 
Exactly. For everyone that passed there, he gets another punishment like he did it again. So if he walked only once and a thousand people walked after him, he gets punished for every one of the thousand. That's called Poretz Gader. What did Chazal tell us about someone who does it? Poretz Gader ishachenu nachash. The nachash will beat him up. It's an expression meaning he's going to pay massive price. So the Rambam continue. The Rambam say if a person lives in a city of wicked people, what's the solution? He has to move to a different city. What happens if the entire country is wicked? There is no kosher city. The entire country is wicked. He should move to another country. What happens if all the countries in the world are wicked? Then what do you do? Go to the Midvah. Very good. He's good, this guy. Very good. Go to the desert. Meaning be in isolation. Desert, forest, doesn't matter. Place that no one is there. Quarantine. Quarantine. So the question that we have to ask is how did Yaakov agree to live 20 years with Lavan? How did he agree? Live in the same area? Probably they had to sit and eat together in the same table more than once. Are you allowed to even look at the face of such a crook? And not only that, when he finally meets Esav, what does he say? Im lavan garti, v'taryag mitzvot shamarti. And I kept the entire 613 commandments. I always wonder to myself, when you meet an atheist, after 20 years that you live by a wicked person, and after 20 years you're still religious, and you meet another atheist, what, how exactly is going to help that you come to the atheist and say, you know, I lived with that wicked man for 20 years and I'm still very full. I stay very religious. If you want to impress him, you should tell him I became modern. Now I'm open-minded. I go to the theater, I join the college. That's how he's going to like you. Since when you come to wicked person and break that you stay ultra-orthodox? Did you ever see a man that walks 20 years with the cows? Walks with the cows, 20 years. What is it, in a barn? How do you call the place where the cows are? Past. Barn. 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 In the barn. So it's 20 years with the cows. Did you ever see a person that being all day with the cows for 20 years, after 20 years, he start to go moo, moo. What happened, Moshe? I, uh, 20 years with the cow, I also started to talk like them. Moo. Did you ever see such thing? It doesn't happen, no? If he would be there a hundred years with the cows, would he go more? No. Shlomo Amalek knew the language, no? Shlomo Amalek knew all those languages. Yeah, Rav Avigdor Miller, Zatzal, 
had an, a beautiful answer about this. When you work in a place with wicked people, wicked people talk around you, how should you imagine them in your mind? That they don't exist. Sand, garbage on the floor, nothing. Or like animals, a dog, a cat, a mouse. It sounds a little bit insulting. That's not the issue here. Nobody tried to insult anyone. It's a psychological advice. If you treat them like human beings, they will influence you and you for sure will become like them. But if to begin with you look at them like dogs that bark and a mouse and a, and a cat or a cat or, or, or a cow, to begin with in your mind, I have nothing to do with this kind of wicked people. For me, they are in the zoo. I do not want to be in a zoo. That's why I do not develop any personality relationship with them. Just like when I see a dog walks by or a, or a cat or anything like that, I don't want anything to do with them. Same thing, they're not interest me. Same thing, those wicked people. Because once I become nice and friendly with them, next thing I have to eat lunch with them, and then the party, and then dinner, and then this, and that, that, and making me coffee, and I'll make you coffee, and they tell you about the problems and about the scenes, and slowly, slowly, the fence is falling apart. And then all of a sudden, three months later, you find out that this ultra-Orthodox girl went and made a scene with her manager, a mother of kids. It happens thousands of times today. And that happens because to begin with, you wanted to be nice and to mingle, that's the right word, to mingle with the wicked people. Sometimes, and at, at work, they make a, a union party. Union, reunion, uh, getting together to improve the atmosphere in the office. So they, they go usually to a non-kosher restaurant, because almost, almost all of them are not Jewish. So if they find one or two Jews that are, are kosher, there are two options now. One, they will agree to move to a kosher restaurant, which is not as common. Second, they will tell them, can you drink beer? Can you drink coffee at least? Can, if we get you a sandwich from a kosher place, would you be able to, to join us? And that's what they do. I remember when I was still in business, I had to fly to Milwaukee the place where this lunatic hit the people there with the car. So, I used to go to Milwaukee, a few times I went there, but one time they, they, they did an actual weekend in a hotel, the bank that I was working with. <coughs> so there was about 60 sales reps from the entire United States. I came from New York, I was young, very young back then. And I, that was my first year in religion. And I said to the woman who organized it, she was the wife of the vice president of the bank. She organized, she confirmed who's coming, who's not, to set up the hotel. I said to her, listen, I can come in one condition, and I'm gonna have to order for me kosher food from somewhere, it has to be sealed. 
She tell me whenever you want us to order for you, you tell us from where, and we'll make sure it's going to be here. So I went. Now you have to understand, there was a table there with about 60 people, long, very long table, a lot of fancy food. They're all eating whatever they ate, drinking whatever they drank, all kinds of things you can imagine. And, they, and I had a stereophone plate with a saran wrap, with a sandwich that they bought from Chicago to Milwaukee, it's an hour drive, from a glad kosher restaurant, with turkey and tomato, sandwich with tomato. So, so when you have 59 people that grab as much as they can, and they see this young guy, this weirdo with this thing on his head, eating, in a, right away they all get curious. So everybody had to come and make a comment. It's like a balatkal, just like here after the lecture. I see it and people come. Same thing over there. So, what is this? You vegetarian? No, it's chicken. Oh, so what's, why you don't eat? No, it's kosher. Oh! So there were two black guys there. They were more into the religion. So they decided that I have to be their priest there. Can you teach us about the sacrifices of the temple? <laughs> that's it? That's what they want to know, these two guys. About the sacrifice. What is all about? The sacrifices and the, the high priest, the Kohanim, you know? So, it's obviously, once you did it, but if you have to do it on a, on a, on a daily basis, it's not going to last. So when they tell you to join, and you know everybody there will be not Jewish, and I don't have to tell you what jokes they tell, and how they get drunk sometimes, and laugh loud, and it's not a behaving of a Ben Torah. It's not a behaving of a kosher Jew. A kosher Jew represents Hashem in the world. When you represent Hashem in the world, you have to think ten times before you do every little thing. You have to think. What will I gain? What would I lose? I may get this and this and that, but then I can create Chilul Hashem. Then even this Goim, later when I go home, they say, what kind of a faker this Orthodox Jew is? Sat with all of us, took selfies, drank, they don't understand. Drink with us beer, this, laugh, get drunk. So we have really difference than them. We, the, the Goim and this Orthodox Jews. So well, well, they're not so religious like we thought. It's a big So what's the solution? Do everything you can to avoid it. Everything you can. Even lose the money, even if you have to pay for the plane. The last minute say I didn't feel good, I couldn't come, or anything like that. Avoid this. Avoid their weddings, avoid their parties. These parties do not add anything to your life besides Yetzirah. Best, best, Find a job that you don't have test in it. Yesterday I say, all our fathers, all the righteous people were all shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Yitzhak was a shepherd. Yaakov was a shepherd. Moshe was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd. Why they all have sheep? Why they were shepherds? They could have been tailors. They could have been farmers. They could have worked in many different jobs. 
They could have been business people, buying, selling, import, selling in the market, jewelry. It's a lot of different things, construction. You know, why all the great names in the Torah chose to be shepherds? The answer is the most kosher job you can find, at least in that time. Why? You take the sheep to some mountain with lots of green, let them eat all day, and you sit and learn Torah all day. Nothing to do. You don't have to do anything. You just have to sit from time to time, look around, they're all here. That's it. If you're a tailor, you don't have time. You have to sew, you have to customer come. There's no time to learn. In construction, no time to learn. Selling diamonds, no time to learn. Plowing the ground, putting seeds, cutting, giving water, no time to learn. One guy once asked me, what's better? I should be a salesman in a store or a taxi driver? I say, how much you gonna make here and how much you gonna make there? He said, in a store, I'm gonna make, I think it was $600 a week. And in a taxi, I'll make $500 a week. So I said to him, be a taxi driver. He said, why? Here I'm gonna make more money. I said, one reason only. Who knows what? You can listen to Torah all day when you drive. When you walk in the store, you cannot listen. It's customer, the owner there. When you're in your taxi, you can listen all day to Shior Torah. You drive 10 hours a day, 10 hours multiplied by 60,000 mitzvot, 600,000 mitzvot while you're driving customers to the airport. You can put one piece in your, in your ear if the customer doesn't want to hear it. You'll be surprised. In Israel, you know how many people I make by Shuvah in taxis? You have to see how many emails like this I got from taxi drivers or bus drivers, even better. He, people get call me, Rabbi, you're not gonna believe what? I'm on a bus now on the way to Haifa and the guy blasts the, the <laughs> in Israel nobody cares. He blasts the bus now with your lecture. <laughs> Oh, imagine all the lefties sitting over there and eating the rab. <laughs> Who is this vile rabbi monster who speak against the Hamas? <laughs> <coughs> Remember a month ago I told you that the vice president of the Mossad said that it's about time that the head of the Mossad will be an Arab. You hear that or no? No. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine like the America say the head of the CIA should be an Arab. The Americans didn't become that dumb yet, like these Israeli leftists. Yeah. But today he says something even worse. Huh? Something even worse than that. What could be worse than that? If Muhammad wants to be an F-16 pilot, we should allow him. Two months ago, everyone in Israel saw that all Israeli Arab citizens, they have Israeli passport and ID, they're all enemies of Israel, just like the Hamas and the Muslim brother and the Hezbollah. No different whatsoever. Everybody saw it. 
in Lud, in Akko, they scream that to the Jews, they shout. So they are 100% like Hezbollah, no difference. Doesn't matter what ID they have. So now he suggests that we're going to take one of these murder murderers who walks in the street and shoot, and he would like to join the Air Force and fly F-16. Do you know how many people you can kill with one F-16 if you decide to shoot at your own people, meaning the own country? If a pilot comes out now here in uh, New York City, F-16 from New Jersey, takes off, and he comes above Manhattan, and he has few bombs and few missiles, you know. How many people he can kill? Thousands of people. Like down big buildings, collapse one on top of the other. So every, every bomb is few tons. Then missiles, they have missiles, and then they have the gun. He shoots all over on cars, on people. I don't know. Can I? I can't even imagine what they can do. Can come on a quarter when you have 20,000 people and drop one bomb on everyone and kill all 20,000. They worry about terrorists, they check this, you enter Israel, you don't have, let me check your soul, maybe have a little water. Oh, this is 3.2 ounces. <laughs> you cannot bring it on a flight. <laughs> then they want to give an F-16 to Muhammad. I don't understand to think that someone like that was in charge of our security makes me sick. Makes me sick. Then you know that now you understand the walls of the Gemara, there's no one to count on. No one to count on. Exactly. So the only one we can count on is Hashem, 100%. So Yaakov is, lear is learning, Yaakov is learning, Yaakov is living with Lavan for 20 years, and what does he say? Vaili shor vechamor. I live 20 years with Lavan, and I have an ox and a donkey. It's like you meet your brother, he's a multi-millionaire, he comes with 400 mercenaries to kill you. <laughs> and he said to him, I was with, living with that crook for 20 years, and look, I have a donkey and I have an, an ox, a cow. What's the connection, Mama? Or Yaakov, uh, from fear, maybe he lost his mind or something? What happened over here? Why are you telling me you have a donkey and you have an ox? No, use your head. Before that, he told him, I kept all the mitzvot. Next thing he tells him, I have a donkey, I had a donkey and an ass. Do you know why I kept all the mitzvot and I was not influenced by him? Because I look at him like he's a donkey and an ass. Hmm. That's what it is. For me, I had a donkey, not a father-in-law. Not a mother-in-law. That's why I stayed who I am. Because if I started to mingle with him, ah, Grandpa Lavan is here. Happy birthday, Lavan. Bring the grandkids. Hanukkah gifts, guilt. Lavan, Grandpa, come. The kids want to take selfie with you. Don't be surprised. In five years, all your kids will be mini Lavan, each one of them. Yes. What do you think? Kids, you know, you design them in a certain way, that's how they become. 
Rav Shach, in one of his speeches, was famous, he said that every Jew has to know by heart the words of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. What's the words of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? Halacha. The law is that Esav hates Yaakov. That's the law in nature. Just like you have rain, and just like you have clouds, and just like you have humid days, and sunny days, and, and uh, snow, and whatever you have, it's the laws of nature. There's one more law in nature that Esav hates Yaakov. And Chazal say that the nation of Israel is a goat surrounded by 70 wolves. 70 wolves are thinking, how should we attack the goat? The wolf, it's like an aggressive dog. It looks a little bit like a dog, but it's worse than a dog, obviously. And then you have foxes, shualim. What's the difference between a wolf and a fox? They look very similar, but what's the difference between them? It's called the Fox. The fox is a, a real snake, sneaky, very sneaky, smooth, shrewd, deceiver, is very clever also, very clever animal. I'll give you an example. One time, my friend decided to bring few chickens to entertain his kids in Monsi. And he put a fence that no animal can eat them. You know, you have hyenas, uh, they come at night, you never know what can happen. He gets up in the morning, everything was blood and feathers. They did not leave one piece of them, the wolf, the, the, the fox. How did they do it? They dug a tunnel under the fence. Look how clever they are. Like Hamas. Like Hamas. <laughs> they dug a tunnel and they went underneath, swallowed all of them. Can you believe that? Just to show you how dangerous they are. But wolves are not as smart. They're also dangerous, but not as smart. So we are surrounded by 70 wolves. And all they want is to eat that goat. בכל דור ודור עומדים עלינו לחלותנו, והקדוש ברוך הוא מצילנו מידם. And Hashem is obviously saving us one miracle after the other. The Midrash Yitzchak gave a bracha al charbecha tichye. Who did he give this bracha to? To Esav or to Yaakov? Esav. You should live by your sword, meaning that's the way of your life. You'll be a warrior <coughs> with sword. So Chazal are saying, Rav lachem sov et tnu lachem tzafona. Enough going around this mountain. Go north. What does it mean go north? Rabbi Chia said, if you see Asaph coming to start a fight with you, hide. 
until he will pass. Don't start a fight with him. It's not a smart thing to do. That's why I always tell people, keep low, low profile now. Now it's fragile days. The economy of the year is about to crash like never before. It's going to be riots, it's going to be robberies. There's so much crime already now. People cannot buy anything. Everything became more expensive. Someone told me today, someone has a lease that ends now. I'm going to say this. The payoff is 65000 as soon as they give back the car, the dealer will sell it for 110. Almost double. Yeah. Why? For every car, there are 10 fools who wait online and fight. And they sell them. Why? Because when you don't have what you need in a market for every little thing, then the prices go like crazy. The problem is that it's a well, Mercedes. You can live with it, you can live without it. The problem is that it comes now to medicine. Some medicine, six months, you cannot get. They are standing six months on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Half of the workers now do not come to work because of the vaccine. Nell says, yesterday they shut the hospital here in New York. They shut the emergency room. They had to refer people that fight for their life to different hospitals, why? They don't have nurses. They don't want to come to work because they don't want to get vaccinated. Everybody listens to all the fake news non-stop, non-stop, and people get nervous. I want to tell you something about it. It doesn't matter what we recommend. In the end, people do whatever they want. Nobody cares about Gdolea Dor, nobody cares about Rabchaim, and nobody cares about any rabbi. They only care about what they think and what YouTube teach them. But one thing I want to tell you. These people that give their life to fight against the vaccines, they put 15 hours a day into it, they make groups, they send non-stop videos, texts, messages. They have all the time in the world and they're so obsessed with that that it became the most important thing in their entire life just to fight that thing. Non-stop, non-stop, from the same people suddenly get 30 messages an hour. Again and again and again and they don't give up. You block them, they come from a different number. <laughs> I wonder to myself, what really their motivation? Let's analyze it. Are they trying to save humanity? They're trying to save people from death? What is really their motivation? A lot of people have side effects, very, very severe. So, uh, no, assume that there are them, the vaccine has side effects and even some people dying from it. Whatever they say. The question is, did you ever see them ever so obsessed in any other thing in life? Do you know how many things kill? You know, cigarettes kill much more than uh, the vaccine. There's no question about that. Ten million people dying in this country every year from cigarettes. Did you ever see them running and fighting with Philip Morris and any other politician who allows cigarettes? 100,000 people died in the United States from drugs, opiate pandemic. Did you ever see them sacrificing their life just to fight drugs? Do you know how many pedophiles you have here? Do you know how many murderers you have over here? Do you know how much corruption you have over here? Do you know how many miserable kids are being abused? And so many things happening. I never saw that they are so devoted to anything.
the religious ones, they want to save life? Where were they when they see 80% of the Jewish people Mechalelei Shabbat? Where are they when they see 70% of the Jews intermarry and lose their identity and their children will all be non-Jews? And the nation is destroyed. Only 15 million left. In a year or two, it can become 10. And another five years, it can become five. The way it grows, the assimilation. I never thought that they gave, give their life to avoid it. But the worst one is, in Israel, they already murdered more than two million babies in abortions. Every year, 40,000 abortions in Israel that are registered. Probably a lot more anonymous in private clinics. In hospitals, known to the government, to the authorities, 40,000 babies in a small country like Israel, they murder, and I assume it's millions here in America. America is a uh, hundred times bigger than Israel, almost. So, do the math. Did you ever see these people so obsessed to save the life of these innocent babies that are cut to pieces by knives and vacuum into a vacuum cleaner? Did you ever see that they care about life? Did you ever see? Over here it's a guarantee to die. Vaccine, one out of a million will die, maybe. Two out of a million will get some infection in her in in heart. Some maybe will shake. Some maybe will have all kinds of side effects. No, whatever. Over here, it's a holocaust, mass murder machine. They're killing your own nation, day after day, night after night. And now one of them make a beep. They don't send not 30 messages an hour, not one message a day about abortions. So what do you see? What do you see all this? What's going on over here? If you care so much about life, where were you until now? If you're such a noble people, where are you until now when they killed two million Jewish babies in Israel? I never saw one message from you. And now you send me 30,000 messages already in the last year. How come I never got one about the abortions? How come I never got about the cancer and about all kinds of other things? Nothing. Nothing. A doctor in Muncie that I spoke to, I asked him how many vaccines you gave. He told me a thousand, more than seven thousand. He took, his son was standing next to him, he took. Oh. I asked him, did you have one incident? Did you have any incident? Someone got hurt, someone got sick. So nothing. He said Pfizer and Moderna, very small, now one incident. With the Johnson & Johnson, I recommend my patients to take baby aspirin for two weeks. Because some people in the world had blood clots. To avoid that, just to be on the safe side. But now one person, nobody died, nobody had problem, nobody need to be hospitalized. Thousands of them, not one. So I told him, so how come millions of people scream nonstop and they become nasty and curse? and eliminate and disconnect relationship with their best friends and relatives and parents and fight with their own kids and quit the job and lose millions of dollars in their work. Where is this madness come from? He told me I'm a doctor 45 years here. Do you think that it's only now like that? 
the same thing with chickenpox vaccine and with polio and with any other vaccine that we gave. Same exact reaction. You know, there's only one difference. Now they have unlimited source, resource, media. Facebook, media, WhatsApp, groups. And back then nobody had this. That's all. The same thing was, same claim, same everything. And in reality it saves humanity. <laughs> Hundreds of millions of people would have died. It's not an ideal solution. Obviously it would be better off to find a cure than you take a pill and it's over. Nobody needs shots and this. It would be wonderful if they had uh, in a pharmacy some kind of a pill that if somebody got COVID, he take a pill or two and he drink it and it's over. And I'll tell you a story. A few years ago, I had a guy that was sending nice check every month for donation. One time, he said to me, why don't you make 5,000 DVDs of that film. It was in a different language, not, not, not that popular. I said to him, I know what's going to happen. Maybe we'll be able to give out 1,000 and then we will be stuck with 4,000 that will end up going to the garbage. I don't want to burn $4,000 to go to the garbage. So we make little by little, 100, we, over, we make another 100, over, we make another, based on demand. I don't want 1,000. I have already... Thousands of CDs mixed in Russian, thousands in my garage. And we gave thousands, but I'm stuck with more than 5,000 of them. We sent to Moscow, we sent to the communities, we sent... I asked people, anyone you know people who speaks Russian only? It's beautiful, it's a lot of strong, like all my videos that were translated to Russian on an audio CD. We gave in Brighton Beach, we put in the stores dozens of times, not once or twice. But the person that donated those CDs gave too much. He made the CDs, he didn't give money. If you give money, I wouldn't make that mistake. He already sent me boxes like this, full of thousands of those Russian CDs, stuck in the basement. And if anyone has what to do with them, take them for free, it's yours. Give them out. So, I told that guy, I do not want to make that mistake. So I will make them little by little. So he said to me, so why am I sending you a thousand dollars every month for that? For CDs. I said, that's the only CD I have. I have another hundred different CDs. I use them for them. They're much more popular. They're in English, they're in Hebrew. Why will you insist on that one? The reason he insisted on that one because he translated it to that language. <laughs> His name. Yeah. So I said to him, I promise you, there's not going to be one time that we have an opportunity to give this DVD to someone and we won't have enough. We will always have enough. Relax. He got angry. He spoke very bad to me. Very bad. It was a few months ago. And then he started to send every month $2 check to make fun at me. Once, twice, three, four months. Yesterday was his funeral. Yesterday they buried him. Got COVID, was in the hospital two weeks. I don't think he was 60 even. Someone sent me a picture of his grave not knowing the story. And of course I didn't say anything. 
in the end, people do stupid things, and who knows what's, gonna, what's the consequences of that. I'm not saying that that's the reason he died. Only Hashem knows why. It's possible, but it could be different reasons. I don't know. But just to show you about this whole COVID things, it's not a joke. A healthy person get it, he's not even 60, he's in hospital for two weeks and he dies. And many people now in Europe are dying. And many people here in Brooklyn died, those big semi-trailers. So vaccine, is that an ideal solution? Nobody ever claimed that. But it lowers the number of death. That's it. And the proof for that, the proof for that is clear in Israel. That a serious growth. 6,000 dead. They started to give the Pfizer first shot and second shot. Within a month, it went down to nothing. The day they started to give the shot, they had 96 dead in a day. Every day prior to that, the numbers went higher. 30, 35, 40, 50, 60, 80, 96. Another day, it would probably be 120. Another day, 200. Another day, 400. Another day, 1,000. It grows in a, like a snowball. It doesn't go one, two, three, four, five. Two, four, eight. That's how it grows. So, Hashem had mercy on us. He organized that the first shots will come to Israel. You have to be blind not to see the hand of Hashem over here. Because Hashem doesn't want his own people to die more than the wicked goyim out there. Because with all due respect, there are many wicked Jews as well. But in the end, Hashem said in the Torah that the Jews are always his top priority. So from all the people in the world, he will make sure that they're the first one who get a poison? Very unlikely. As soon as they gave the shots, it went down to nothing. Six months passed, it started to grow again. Another wave. Two more thousand died. Six thousand stuck on six thousand for six months. Nobody died. Six months, they open, no masks, they open the stadiums, everything as usual. It started to grow again. Two more thousand died in a month or two. They gave the booster four and a half months ago. It died again to zero. Nobody died. Now, four and a half months later, there are some rumors that it's starting again. So what do you see? Every six months, you need a shot. It puts antibodies in the body. You say for six months at least, you're going to need another shot. And another one, and another one, until who knows how many years. The only thing that will prevent this is if they will invent a medicine against COVID. Medicine, not vaccine. As long as there's no proven medicine, we are going to live with this COVID for another 30, 40, and 50 years from now. It's not going anywhere. Same PCR, same quarantine, same everything. I'm afraid, like I was afraid when the SARS came out, and I was right, unfortunately, that you know what Hashem does. He smack and wait. Nothing happened. He smacks a little bit harder and wait. Nothing happened. He smacks a little bit harder and wait. And at one point, he gives a final punch and it's all over. 
just like in the Holocaust and the destruction of the temple and certain pogroms. And people don't want to learn the easy way, they learn the hard way. They don't want to do tshuva. Chaz v'shalom, they're going to have a mutation that can kill a person in two hours. Right now it takes time, a week or two until a person dies. What would happen if we become so aggressive that a person gets COVID and two hours later would choke and die? Then what are we going to do? What are you going to do? Do you know how big the number is going to be? Are we set in Israel to 2,000 funerals per day? You don't have Hevrat Kadisha for 100 funerals a day. I saw a show, someone sent a clip. They interviewed the Hevrat Kadisha in Israel. They say, we delay funerals. Over here, they ask people to volunteer their minivan. Remember here? They don't have enough people to bury the, the dead. And it could be a hundred times worse. Then what are we going to do? All of us will become buried, buried and we're going to bury people. What are you going to do? You're going to quit your job and go and volunteer to bury people that, from the neighborhood? Don't take it for granted. People got used to it. People already live with the COVID. Live with that. Who's to say that that's a final punch? Maybe there's another one or two coming. But, you know, you talk and people are continuing. But all the warriors, if they're going to have the soccer game or the basketball game, or they will open the stadium and they're going to finish the season and there's going to be a concert. That's all they care about. The words of Chazal, this is the path that we have in front of us. The hatred of the Goim to the nation of Israel will remain until the last day of the creation. Not all Goim hate Jews. Some Goim actually love them and admire them, and they will do everything to protect them. Whenever you speak about a general rule, it doesn't mean it's 100%. General rule can be 60%. 70%. That's it. It's a rule. Right? If, if 100 people get a virus and 60 of them die, that's a rule. That, that virus is a killer. It's a pandemic. They don't have to kill 100%. So when they say that the Goim hates the, the nation of Israel, it doesn't have to be all of them. It, it's enough that it's more than half. It's already a rule. The general rule. The biggest problem is that we have no solution to this problem. If you're rich, they hate you. If you're poor, they hate you. If you're righty, they hate you. If you're lefty, they hate you. If you're straight, they hate you. If you're gay, they hate you. If you're white, they hate you. If you're black, they hate you. If you're young, they hate you. If you're old, they hate you. Male, female, no matter what form of a Jew you are, they hate you. You may think if you're successful and good-looking and rich and powerful, they hate you. You're a judge, so they're jealous. You're some movie star, so they're jealous. Nothing to do with that. You can be homeless on the street, they still hate you. The question is why? The United Nations made a survey in the Arab countries a year ago. They went to all Arab countries and they asked all Arabs in each country about their feeling towards the Jews. 
every Arab country, they had more than 90% of the citizens there that say that they hate Jews. Even though almost none of them ever saw one Jew in their life. Like in Saudi Arabia, in Kuwait, in all these places, there's no Jews there. And there are a lot of them are farmer, poor, in the desert. They never saw in their life one time a Jew. But almost all of them say they hate Jews. 90-something percent. Except Morocco, it was 83 percent. Morocco, 83 percent. Morocco considered a safe place. You have Rav Pinto there, you have a lot of Moroccan Jews keep going there to visit. They have graves of Moroccan rabbis, Jews, that bury there. Baba Sali came from there. The king is very good to the Jews. His father and his grandfather were very good to the Jews. But still, 83% of people in Morocco are Jews. It's not such an ideal place. So what, the question is why? If they never saw in their life one time a Jew, where does this hatred come from? You see, it goes in the DNA. Who did it? Hashem did it. Just like the dog hate the cat. <laughs> Just like the cat hate the mouse. Can you get a normal explanation why dog hate cats? No, you don't need an explanation. You know this is the way God made it. That's the way he made the nature. Why cats eat a uh, uh, mouse? That's the way God made it. Why a snake swallow rats? That's what God did. Why always you have a bird on the back of a rhinoceros? A rhinoceros is in a safari, always see a bird parking on his back. Not on the back of a cow. Not on the, on the back of a pig, not in the back of any other big animals, but on the back of the rhinoceros, you will always find a bird parking. Why is it, you know? <laughs> and it's not just every bird, it's a specific bird that knows to park exactly on the back of this rhinoceros. Why? Because the rhinoceros is a very big and fat animal, right? And he has a lot of dirt between his fat, he has tires, and between the tires, a lot of dirt accumulates. And it each itches him, and there's no way for him to itch. Not like us, we can buy a stick in Amazon and go like this. <laughs> what is he gonna do? So Hashem designed that one bird loved that sweat and dirt. That's the food of the bird. So the birds come to the rhinoceros and eat that and clean those holes. Understand? Everything is programmed. This is why Hashem made the world always hate the Jews. And why? Why did Hashem do such things? <coughs> the answer is, if that would not be the case, there would not be one Jew left. Already 2,000 years ago, you wouldn't have one Jew left. Because imagine if all the Gentiles would come to the Jews, oh, we love you, come, join us, we want to marry you, we want to be together, we want to give you a nice job, whatever, please, come, whatever you need, we are at your service. You're free, you have rights, you can be a president, you can do whatever you want, go get education if you're poor, we will help you financially. 
What would have happened? It would be so nice. All Jews would love them because they're all nice to us. They'll marry them. After five generations, that's it. The Jewish nation will be vanished. And Hashem already said that <laughs> the whole purpose of making this world end is to, for the Torah. And the Torah is for the nation of Israel. And if the nation of Israel is already not here, the purpose of the world will be over. So now they think twice. I told you the story about that soldier who made that German volunteer. You remember or no? The Israeli soldier with the yarmulke on his head. A commando fighter. He met a German non-Jewish volunteer in Israel. Did you all remember the story or no? You don't remember. Slowly, slowly, she smiled to him, Christina, you know, like this, and he lost his mind, this Datiloni, and fell in love with her. Fell in love with her beauty. <laughs> so he decided to marry her. To marry her. So where is going to be the wedding? In Berlin. What day of the week? Sunday. What's the location? Church. A church. A church. Her parents are serious Christians. And the wedding has to be there. Here's another three friends from the commando. They say to him, hey, brother, simulation is against the Torah. No, she's such a nice girl, I can't live without her. We're not debating if she's nice or not. It's, not. it's not relevant. Whether she's nice, whether she's nasty. Even if she's the nicest. Are you allowed to go against Hashem? Don't you read the verse in the Torah that does not allow it? Yeah, yeah, I know I'm making a mistake, but what can I do? Without her, I'm miserable, I can't. It's not in my hand. You know, all these excuses. No matter what they try to do, they couldn't convince us. They... Now he wants to fly. He has to fly Sunday morning. The wedding in Sunday evening. Three hours to get to Germany. So he has to leave. I don't know if it was Sunday morning or Saturday night. Either, the, either Sunday night he had to fly. Or... So they told him, okay, before you leave us, we, we bought you a gift. That's it, you're going to Germany. We might as well say goodbye to you. Come over to the house of one of the friends. He was happy, finally his friend giving him the blessing. <laughs> he comes into the house, say, hey, brother, wow. So it's, that's it, huh? you sure that's what you want to do? Yeah, yeah well, listen, it's not easy for me, believe me, I have mixed feelings, but I decided the love, <laughs> the love is too strong to give up on it. So they say, well, we prepared for you. What a nice surprise. Come, let us show you. Follow us to the room. They took him to the room. Now there are three gorillas against one gorilla. One, two, three. Bam! They pushed him into the room. Closed the door. In Israel, you have automatic lock. You turn it. They locked him in. Come on, open the door. What is this joke? Boom, boom. Open the door. I have a flight to catch. On our dead body. 
We're not going to let you lose your identity and your children will not be Jewish. Forget about it. You can't do such things. It's 500 guests. They pay fortune for the thing. It's your problem, not ours. <laughs> I'll sue you. I'll kill you. Don't mess with me. Boom, open the door. You have tefillin in a closet. You have tuna cans. You have bread. You have a bathroom there. We'll see you tomorrow. The next day they came. The wedding time over. They opened the door. Boom, fight. Three against one. Pushed him on the floor. Tiraga! Calm down! Okay, okay, leave me alone. He runs to the phone. Christina! Before he even started to apologize and to explain what happened, she opened up her Nazi mouth on him. Started with such horrible curses and racist comments. Hitler should have finished the job. Everyone told me, how do you dare to marry a Jew? Now I understand what they meant. Ah, such curses. <sighs> he could not believe. He kept telling them, no, she's not like the Germans, you know. She's, she came to Israel, she volunteered. She's not a racist. What happened in the end? He hugged them. I'm such a fool. Wow, look what you just saved me from. Imagine this, I would be married to such a Nazi. That's what happened when the heart desires something. The brain knows that it's terrible. The, the opposite is exactly the other direction. The truth, the other direction. But the heart pulls so hard person knows I'm going to be destroyed, and he still does it. Happens to us all the time, Rabotai. Not only in intermarriage, it happens in many ways. Happening with money, it happens with children, it happens with relationship, it happens in health. It happens in many, many ways. The only way to overcome the heart is to be deeply involved with Torah. Torah melts the desires. As soon as you leave the Torah, your anger rises, your jealousy, your stinginess, your laziness, everything is on a rise. 100% on a rise. To the point that you lose control. A person loses control. The Midrash is talking in Bereshit Rabbah 75. It talks about the verse in Proverbs 25, 26. You know, all this language of King Solomon it's very difficult to understand, even for high-class Israelis. Needless to say to Americans or to Europeans, yes? Much harder even for them. Because the language is very old, and there's very hard words that nobody uses. It's an ancient language. Some of the words you can understand. Mayan, you know it's a spring. Mirpash means refesh, dirt. Makor means a source. Moshchat, hard to understand what they mean. Tzadik, we know what tzadik. Mat, meaning he falls before Lifne Rasha. 
The explanation, כשם שאי אפשר למעיין להירפס, the same way a spring that constantly water coming out of the ground can never get dirty, why? Because there's movement in the water. And the makor, למקור להישחט, I don't know what makor they're talking about, <coughs> כך אי אפשר לצדיק למות לפני רשע. Same way, those two things can never happen. A righteous can never fall in front of the wicked. It will never happen. What does it mean? Well, you don't see wicked people torturing righteous people. We're talking in the long run. In the long run. In the long run, the tzaddik will always prevail and always win. In this world, even in this world. When you have a property, what's the best way to handle your property? The Gemara in Masechet Baba Metziah 42, the Gemara says, לעולם ישליש אדם מעותיו. A person should divide his money to three categories. Third, in real estate. Buy a house, an apartment. Third of what you have put in real estate. Third, in merchandise. Whatever you buy. And a third, always hidden by you for the time of trouble. In the ground. Back then they didn't have bank accounts. Some people are primitive, even today they still use the in the ground. <laughs> they don't want their money to be in a bank. For different reasons. <laughs> One reason they don't want partners, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Second, banks can collapse. They can go bankrupt. Are you sure that your money by the bank is safe? It used to be 100,000 per person, FDIC. Now it's 250,000. Meaning every dollar you have more than that in a, in a bank, it's not insured. If they go bankrupt, you lose your money. So you say, ah, Rabbi, I don't have that much more. I have 260. So if I lose 10,000 for the peace of mind and the money is safe in the bank, for now, I live with that. That's a dream. You really think your 250 is insured? Come on, <laughs> cannot be that dumb. If a bank that has five million customers and four millions of them had 250,000 in the account, do you really think the government's gonna give trillions of dollars to the customers of this bank? You really that naive? They're gonna drag you 20 years, 20 years until you see the money if you ever see. So basically the money is not insured in the bank to do whatever they want. I'll give it for illegal aliens, but not for this. <laughs> One businessman went to a place far away with some money in his bag. He didn't know what to do with the money, but he was afraid to carry so much money. On the other hand, he was afraid to leave it by someone in town that by the time he come back, he will deny he got it. 
It happens once in Morocco. There was an Arab, Abdallah. He had a neighbor, Moroccan guy, Sami. Sami and Abdallah. Who was the rabbi back then in Morocco? Big Chacham, Rabbi Zrian. Big Rabbi Tzadik. The Arab said to his friend Sami, the Jew, Sami, I'm going to Mecca for the Ramadan. Those days, they didn't have planes like now. People walked on camels or donkeys. It was a long ride from Morocco to Mecca. I have a lot of money. That's all my saving. I, I trust you. I want to keep everything by you. If I don't come back two months after the Ramadan, after uh, the holiday of the Muslims, as soon as I died, you can keep it for yourself. But if I come, I count on you to give me everything. Sami, of course, Yahawaja. Ah, you don't have to even say that. Your money is saved by me. Oh. Abdallah was happy. He went to the street, went to Mecca, wore those white kilts with another million other Muslims. Now, a month after Ramadan, Sami check every hour in his house if there's light. <laughs> Abdallah didn't come back today. He made lines on the wall. One. Two, three, five. Already 58 days. No Abdallah. Wow. Make sure if Abdallah is on the way, his camera will break his leg. He told me two months. The next day. Sami. <laughs> Who is this? Abdallah! Oh, she came back. One more day, one more day. But you know how the Yetzer arise? The evil inclination of the greed is very strong. The person is not honest, a big problem. He came out, ah, Abdallah, how are you? Baruch Hashem, alhamdulillah. I came back, I went, I prayed, Mecca, I finally came. You don't know how many problems I had until I came back. I almost didn't make it. So why did you make it? <laughs> how can I help you, Abdallah? Give me the flus. Where is the money? What money? The 60,000 lira I gave you. Allah, you're wrong. What, you become senile? He never gave me any money. Ma, Sami, you're a religious Jew. I trusted you, cannot be. No matter what happened, this Sami doesn't give in. Someone told Abdallah, go to the rabbi of the Jews, a good man, Sadiq. Tell him the story. 
He said, but I don't even have proof I gave him the money. You're probably going to ask me for proof. I trusted my neighbor. He said, ah, but these Jews, they're clever. He's going to find a way. Don't worry, go. He went to Rav Zrien, and he said to Rav Zrien the story. And Rav Zrien said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Then the, the rabbi saw him, this guy Sami. Sami, come give me a hug. What happened, Rabbi? Come, I'm so proud of you. Mabruk, what happened? You gave it to this Arab. How much they hate us. Finally, we got them back. Ari was so smart to get 60,000 out of him. <laughs> Don't forget to give to the shul 10%, huh? Yeah. Of course, Rabbi. Well, I looked to you like a thief. <laughs> as soon as he confessed to the Rabbi, he grabbed him by his beard. Shame on you, you dog. You're not embarrassed of yourself. He's stealing from a goy money. The Torah allows such a thing to steal from Gentiles? Rasha! I don't want to see your face ever in a shul! You better leave town by tomorrow, give him back the money and leave town. If not, I'm going to put you in a harem, on a ban. Rabbi, please forgive me, I don't know what happened to me. First give him the money. Then you come back to me, I'll see if I'm willing to forgive you. Right away, he ran to Abdallah, 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 forgive me. I don't know what happened to me. I gave him all the money. This Abdallah was so proud of the rabbi. So he asked the rabbi, Rabbi, I want to buy pita. You know, pita in a taboo that they stick to the. You see, yeah, in some restaurants here. Like lafa. Lafa. Yeah, that's the word, lafa. And butter. I didn't have sushi yet back then. <laughs> so he wanted to buy pitas and butter. Why butter? Because butter is kosher. It's the fat of the thing. Okay. So he wanted to give to all the poor people in town and to tell them why he's doing this meal, to thank God that the Jews have such a holy, righteous rabbi. So he gave to all the poor people lafa and butter and everybody asked why this Arab became so nice to the Jews. I told the story, it was a very big Kiddush Hashem. You see, when you follow Hashem and you follow the Torah, you're not a politician. It doesn't matter who and what and who say and who should I steal from and who should I not. You're not allowed, you're not allowed. That's it. Don't mix the politics. Don't be like these Arabs that everything that they want to do to the Jews, they say, the Quran say you have to steal from the Jews. There's no such Quran. The Quran say you have to kill the Jews. There's no such thing. The Quran actually says that Israel belongs to the Jews. They lie. They don't care about the Quran. They care about, they want to kill Jews and steal their land, and that's it. So everything they say in the name of the Quran. I told you once the story of, the, of this Ahmed, Mahmoud, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, that was his name. This Mahmoud, he was very knowledgeable in Quran. One time he sits on Friday in a mosque, and the uh, Qadi over there, he said, 
It's a big mitzvah to steal from the Jews. The more you can steal from them, the faster you make it to heaven with Allah. <laughs> this guy, Mahmoud, got up. There were more than a thousand people in a mosque fighting. He said to him, excuse me, can you tell me where does it say such thing in the Quran? Because I know the Quran by heart and I never saw such thing. Do you know what it means to be a lefty among Arabs? <laughs> it's not like by the Jews you get promoted. Over there you're done. He said to him, sit, ya kalb. Sit, you dog. <laughs> the Arabs are not politically correct. Sit, you dog trader. You're protecting the Jews? Shame on you! <laughs> what kind of religious people we are that we teach lies in the name of Allah? I got him even angrier. Imagine the embarrassment this crook had. I don't have to tell you what happened to this Mahmoud when he came to the house. His father was waiting already with a metal stick. <laughs> he him, broke his bones, almost killed him. Leave the, the village. I don't ever want to see you here. You're not my kid. He started to go into places and he found a job by the Jews, moved from one place to another. One time, the owner that he was working for was Hasid. He said to him, tomorrow we close. You don't have to come to work. So what's tomorrow? He said, Yom Kippur. What's Yom Kippur? We're all fasting, we're going to the synagogue, we're praying for Hashem to forgive our sins. Can I also come? They say, no, the shul, every seat is already purchased in advance. Everybody wants to come, there's not enough room. So there's no seats. Can I stand outside and watch? Yeah. We'll show you where to stand, the window will be open, you can stand outside. So he went, he started to look. Thousand people with white talitot. I love this. Remember, he was a spiritual person, he learns Quran. What kind of Arabs learn Quran today, young ones? That was his main hobby, learning Quran. So he liked that. So he said, you know what, if I cannot be a Muslim and I'm banned from my people, maybe I should convert and be a Jew. Right? So he called his mother. He said to his mother, listen, this is what's happening. I'm walking by religious Jews. They're very nice people. They're nice to me. I think I will convert to Judaism. I thought you're the only one who liked me, so I should tell you. <laughs> so the mother said, you should come tomorrow at 12 p.m. Nobody will be in the house. Put something on your face that nobody will recognize you. I want to show you something before you do it. He came to the village. He walked in. His mother said to him, Mahmoud, I'm so sorry, but I wanted to tell you the truth, but I never had the guts. What? You don't have to convert to Judaism. You're already a Jew. I'm Jewish. I married your father. He tricked me. I met him in a club in Haifa. I asked him, what's your name? He told me, Rafi. Only later I found out he's Rafik. And I was already in love with him. I couldn't run away. And now you and all your brothers are all Jewish. So you don't have to convert. Let me give you a picture of my family. Give him a picture black and white. She gave him a, a hug and probably some baklawa and sent him home. Now he became, a, he became a Jew. That's it. He knows he's a Jew. He's learning the religion. Somebody told him, 
I will organize for you to spend Shabbat with a Jewish family. So they send him to somebody, and he was there on Shabbat, and they sang in a shul, Lechadodi Likrat Kala, he loved it. Everybody sang. I love that song. Then they came to the house, he asked the kid, can you sing me that song that they sang in the shul? So the kid sang. Then after that he said, can you sing it again? And again, and again, ten times for the Shabbat. So this guy is OCD. It's obsessing. <laughs> Even more than those vaccine guys. <laughs> so he said, what's wrong with this guy? Tov, no, Motzei Shabbos came. This was exactly in the time when the Arabs used to blow buses in Israel every day. Like 18 years ago, something like that. Every hour, boom, an explosion. 20 dead, 30 dead in buses. So in Motzei Shabbat, when he's on the way out, the owner of the house asked him, you know, we spend the whole Shabbat with you. <laughs> and you never even told us your name. Ah, my name is Mahmoud. <laughs> Just an hour ago, a bus exploded. And what did we add? Mahmoud in our house. Who knows what he put in the rooms now? <laughs> so he said to him, relax, relax. I'm not an Arab. I thought I am, but I just found out that my mother is really Jewish. And she actually gave me a picture of her family. I want to show it to you. Took it out of his pocket, and he shows him the picture. When he looked at the picture, he couldn't believe it. He said, that's by the grave of the grand-grandfather of our family. It was a big rabbi. Who is the rabbi? Rabbi Shlomo Al-Kabetz. The one who wrote the song Lechadodi 500 years ago in Sfat. 20 generations ago, his grand-grandfather of this Arab, meaning his mother was Jewish, daughter of a Jewish, daughter of a... All the way to Rav Shlomo Al-Kabetz. He started to sing that... They started to sing that song that his grand-grand-grandfather wrote. And he said, sing it again, sing it again. So then he said to him, now I'm a Jew, Baruch Hashem, I know I'm a Jew and I'm becoming religious. But I have nine brothers in a Hamas. טרוריסט. Hundred Israeli soldiers against hundred Hamas terrorists. Don't be surprised if in the side of the Hamas you have more Jews than in the side of the Israeli army. How can it be? I'll tell you. Sixty thousand Jewish women married Arabs since Israel became a state. Sixty thousand. Each one of them gave birth in, a, in average to about 10 kids. Sometimes 17. 10, average. So 60,000, 10 kids, it's 600,000 people living in the Arab cities that are actually Jewish according to, to, to Al-Akha. 
Now, these kids go to school and everybody curses them. Yakal, Yahud, get out of here, you Jew, we don't want to speak to you. And these kids grow up with such low self-esteem because nobody wants to accept them because they are dirty Jews. So what do they try to do to prove that they're not Jewish? They all join the Hamas and the Jihad. So the only way to prove that I'm a faithful Muslim is to go and kill Jews. So a lot of those terrorists are Jews by birth. And the Israeli army, they brought one million Russian goyim to Israel 25 years ago. And each one of them gave birth to two to three kids. So you have about more than two million goyim that are considered Israeli Jews, but they are 100% non-Jews. And the army is full of them. So if you have a hundred soldiers right now, maybe 50 of them are from the Russian Soviet Union. They're all going, or some of them going. So now you have a hundred Israeli soldiers, many of them are not Jewish. Druzim, Goim, uh, some uh, children of Philippines and Thailandis, all kinds of Goim that lives in Israel. Once the kids grow, they have to go to the army. So you have a bizarre situation. Hundred Hamas terrorists, they have more Jews over there than than you have in the side of the soldiers. Not necessarily, but there is a possibility like this in a battle. Who would believe such things? That's what the Gemara said that one of the sons of the Amoraim passed and he had clinical death and he came back to life. His father asked him, what did you see up there? He told him, Olam afuch ra'iti. I saw an opposite world. Elionim lemata, tachtonim lemala. Everyone that is up here is down over there. And everyone that is down over here is up over there. His father told him, no, my son. Over here, it's an opposite world. Over there, that's the real world. Over here, it's all lies. All fake. Over there, it's real. Nobody can fool Hashem there. He runs the show. Here, he gave us free will. You run the show. I'm not interfering. That's why it looks like the way it looks. Hmm. Over there, there's one captain to the show. And what you see over here, that someone that is wicked and powerful and rich, everyone kiss up to him and bow down to him, that's fake. And when they see a bigger Talmud Chacham or a rabbi, they want to kill him. Get out of here, we don't want religion here. They look at the rich, they don't care about the Avrech, the Talmud Chacham. So over here, everybody kiss up to the politician, to the wicked people, to the mayor, to the policeman, to this, to that. Everybody understand why. So over there, those who are important over here, they are the worst over there. And those nobody pays attention to, like this Bachure Shiva, over there, each one of them is a king. And I once gave you a lecture about Hanufa. Do you know what's Hanufa? Kissing up. There are four groups that when Mashiach come, they won't be able to. They will not be able to to see him, to be around him. And now Mekablim Pneshchina. 
One of the four groups is God Hanefim. Hashem cannot stand people that kiss up to wicked people. Today almost everyone is like that, almost everyone. As soon as they find out that some rich guy, everyone is around him, everyone speaks to him with such an honor. And when they see as a Bachur Yeshiva, nobody wants to waste time. How much he has? He doesn't have money, he came with a bike. This guy came with a Bentley. I want to be around him. But that's really not the main problem. There's a much bigger problem. The biggest problem is the fakers who speaks and call themselves rabbis. There's a lot of fakers. In the time of Eliyahu Navi, he slaughtered 450 fakes babas, what we call prophets, fake prophets. Slaughter them. There was rivers of blood on the Carmel Mountain. Remember a few years ago there was a huge fire there? The fire was so big that a bus of police people passed by. The fire went from the mountain into the road that goes around the mountain and burned them all alive. That's how huge the fire was. It took them days to put the fire off. They had to import airplanes from all kinds of countries to come and help put the fire off. It's a place, Mu'ad Leporanut, the Carmel Mountain. Place of tragedies. Why Eliyahu Navi had to slaughter 450 fake prophets there? The story goes like that. Eliyahu Navi saw that there's so many wicked people. The king is wicked, Ahav, and his wife Izevel. She's also very wicked. And they made a lot of idols in Israel, and it's, it's a it's a big problem. He's a righteous, zealous man to Hashem. And everybody around is all a faker. So what's going to be now? So he said, there's not going to be one drop of rain anymore. So how long this curse was going on? For three years. Three years, no rain, no rain. No rain, three years. You know, you can't import water and there's no pipes. And now today in Israel you can take salty water from the ocean and clean the salt. They have a special machine. So you can find ways to find more water. It's not the end of the world if you don't have rain. Even though it's a big headache because you need to put water to all the fields and to the animals. It's a big headache. But you're not going to believe in three years all the animals became skinny. No grass to eat, no wheat, no barley, no water in the wells. No mikvehs, no nothing. People can't take showers. It's a disaster. Everyone became broke. Because remember, everyone was either a farmer or a shepherd. And you cannot have money. No animals, nothing. They're all dying. So Achav was looking for Eliyahu. He was hiding in a cave. Obviously, if they catch him, they'll kill him. For making such a decree. But look at the power of a man of, a man of God. He said one word and three years there's no rain. Finally, after three years, Hashem told him, enough is enough. Show up. Put an end to it. He came out and he said to them, we will see today who Hashem admires and who he hates. You bring your own cow, sacrifice that cow on the Carmel mountain, and I will bring my cow. 
and we will see the fire that comes from heaven will go on mine or on your cow. If it will go on yours, that means you are righteous and I'm wicked. It will go on mine, I'm righteous, you are wicked. So they brought the cow, they cut it, cleaned it, put it on the altar. He also did the same thing and he spilled buckets of water. Tell him, what are you doing? So I'm putting a lot of water on my cow. Why? That even though my cow will be soaked with water, you will see that the fire that comes will burn my cow anyway. You don't have to put water. Keep it dry. So, now, before they slaughtered those two cows, those two cows were like brothers. They grew up in the same barn. So one they want to take to Eliyahu, and one they want to give to those 450 YouTube speakers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the problem was now that the cow refused to walk. They tried to grab him. Nobody can move him. He fights. He doesn't want to go. The other cow went. went. This cow doesn't want to go. Eliyahu came to the cow and started to talk in his ear. He said, why don't you want to go? So he said, the cow spoke, just like the donkey of Bilam. Why my friend goes to the holy altar in your side and I have to go to the altar of these wicked people? It's not fair. We grew up from the same age. Together, we together, always together. Why he is going to the positive and I'm going to the negative? I don't want to be a part of such a Chilul Hashem. So Eliyahu told him, no, it's the opposite. You're going to do the real Kiddush Hashem. When everyone will see that no fire comes on you, and it will come on my altar, then everybody will know that they're all fake. So thanks to your cooperation, everyone will leave the idols. And he, he agreed to go. They went, they slaughtered him, they pulled him. They started to scream to all their gods and nuns and nothing came. Eliyahu says, scream louder, maybe your god is sleeping. <laughs> he had sense of humor. Though he was very strict, he had some sense of humor. Scream louder, maybe wake him up. No matter what they did, nothing happened. I wonder to myself, how did they even show up? If you know you're faker, and now you, now you expect fire to come from heaven on yours? I, I, I would take a flight to Japan if I was one of the 450 fakers. That's it, you're exposed. Underneath. Fly to Japan. Or at least make some kind of a trick, magic, you know, that the fire will go from the bottom. I don't know. How did they have the confidence to come like this to the show? But then again, how did the priest have the nerve to come to the debate? Knowing he had such a foolish religion. I guess maybe they believed in what they do. Exactly. So what happened? After whatever they did, Eliyahu Navi said his words, Shh! Fire came on his Mizbeach. So Eliyahu said to the nation, Until when 
you're going to stay modern orthodox. Enough with this fakeness. One leg in yeshiva, one leg in a university, one leg in a shul, one leg in a baseball Yankee games, one leg in Tehillim reading, one leg in a theater. How can it be? Make a decision. You are a follower of Hashem or you are a follower of the American rotten culture. Decide. And everybody screamed, Hashem Hu Elohim, Hashem Hu Elohim. God is the, is the master, God is the... After that, Eliyahu took all 450 of them and killed them all. <coughs> it didn't start with the nonsense. No, leave them alone, they're not wicked. They're all tzaddikim, kedoshim, they're kedoshim, kedoshim. Who's kedoshim? The gays are kedoshim? Yes, of course. So why don't you go to the grave to read Tehillim every day? Why you go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe instead? Go to those kedoshim, no? They're such holy. Maybe you live next to their grave. All day, read Tehillim over there, you know? Such a kadosh. Itzik and Avi with their earring, you know, and the little puppy. Such a kdoishin. Enough with this One of vomit when I look at this garbage. How much fakeness in this world, how much. And how people tolerate this lie and cooperate with such a scam. Eliyahu didn't have this nonsense. Right away, grabbed all of them. Shh. 450 of them went express to hell. Yes, there is hell. Even though some American speaker deny it. Sorry to break it up to them. It's mentioned 133 times in the Talmud. And it's exactly as it's mentioned. With fire, with seven different places, with people screaming, and people are... Have no mer there's no mercy over there. No mercy over there. Go to Rashid Chokhmah, read the whole chapter of Geno. Even though in, in America, they translated the book to English, but the part of hell, they deleted from the book. Do you understand in what generation we live in that we have today people that decide what parts of the Torah people would hear and what parts of the Torah they won't hear? You understand what it means, liberalism? Very similar to what the Democrats do. Freedom of speech as long as you're a Democrat. Did you ever see a Republican get a freedom of speech? Did you ever see what they call a radical extremist righty comes to speak without a threat to the police? We're going to put a bomb, we will demonstrate, we'll block the road. We will, we will make you shaming, we're going to put your face all over the Facebook, that you cooperate with the speakers, how do you let him speak? Did you ever see righties do the same thing to the lefties? When Jack Schumer comes to talk, or Hillary, or any one of those, they always come, they talk, and all televisions give them the show, and 
And did you ever see someone make a threat, we're going to put a bomb, you're not going to speak over here? There's no such thing. Only those lefty liberals with their manners, they always shut everyone's mouth. Such fakers. Such fakers. What happened to democracy? You invented the rules, no? Why you contradict yourself? Let me give you some idea, we'll finish with this. Some ideas, what does it mean to be a kiss-up? Someone that knows that his friend is wicked and a crook, and he speaks negative about kosher people. Ah, I don't like this one, I don't like that, but it's kosher people. Or that he's a thief, he steals money from people, and he comes and kiss up to him. What's up, brother? How are you? He's such a great guy. Not only he praises him and kiss up to him, he say to him, you did nothing wrong. You took money from him, so what? He's very rich. He doesn't give the poor. You took from him, you teach him a lesson. Well, <laughs> the Torah says it's allowed. Lo palta aven b'mashasita. He didn't do anything wrong. First, he had to rebuke him. Not only does not rebuke him, he said to him, you're good, you didn't do anything wrong. What, is, what does he do? He makes sure he stay wicked. It's not, there's no big deal in this generation to be mechalel Shabbat. These people did not grow with Shabbat. So what? There's more than a million people who grew without Shabbat and now they are Shomer Shabbat. Teach them about Shabbat and they'll have to change. They don't change the wicked. What does it mean? Like 40 years they hear about Shabbat and just because they grew up secular, you assume already they dismiss from the punishment? Who gave you this gut? <laughs> Someone that is kissing up like that, not only is not zealous for the truth, he actually put a trap in front of a sinner by telling him you're good. So there's no chance he will ever repent. <laughs> Someone that justify the wicked and convict the righteous. When it comes to wicked people, he protects them. When it comes to righteous people, he attacks them. There is a verse about someone like that. That is abomination. He is an abomination. Like that guy from Woodmere. On a holy rabbi that gave his life to Hashem all his life, more than seven years of holiness and zikuya rabim and learning Torah and watch his eyes completely from never seen that modest thing and being one of the biggest ballets that I ever saw. And he has thousands of people in the world who are from thanks to him. Families and many kids in yeshivot. He called him Sitra Achra, the devil. But the gays from Pittsburgh, Mechalelei Shabbat, who brought a goy to make him Brit Milah in a shul and driving the car, the biggest enemies of Hashem and the Torah, he called them Kedoishim, holy. How can you even look at the face of such a monster? How? Wicked is a compliment for someone like this. Much worse than wicked. And he has a lot of rich people following me over there in Long Island. For years, he survived over there. 
Yes. That's what happened in today's world. Just like it happened in the time of Eliyahu Anavi. Reshaim Arurim, Afar Lepihem, may they never ever see the light of heaven ever, this Reshaim Achti Arabim. The worst, filthiest, wicked people, they praises them, kiss up to them, compliment them, defend them. And when they see finally someone that gave his life for Hashem, for the Torah, they call him wicked and sitra achra. And none of the people in the shul got up and leave. For that we have to cry. If I would be one of the people in that shul after something like this, I would never be able to walk near the place. To look at someone like this, to look at his face, when you pray to see somebody like this in front of you. How can you look at yourself in a mirror that this is your leader? Such a busha. That's exactly who we're talking here. Matzdik, Rasha, Marshia, Tzadik, Toavat Hashem, Gamshneem. You are an abomination, a disgrace. And needless to say, if he does it in public, which is also Chilul Hashem, to prevent Chilul Hashem, a person has to risk his life. You may get killed. I have no choice. To prevent Chilul Hashem, I may get killed. Yes. You know Chilul Hashem? You know how horrible it is? Nothing erases Chilul Hashem. Even repentance all your life. You cannot get rid of it until the day you die. When he came to the verse, he was reading in the Torah, You cannot make a king someone that came from a different nation, convert, someone became a Jew, but he wasn't, it's like here in America. Someone who came to America and, and became a citizen, he has an American passport, he can still not be the President of the United States. There was the whole thing with Trump and Hussein Obama, that he claimed that he was born out of the United States. Remember this whole thing? Why? Because it's against the law. And if he was born out of the United States, that means it's the biggest scam ever, that someone like this eventually became the President of the United States against the, the, the Constitution. Same thing the Torah. He can be a righteous Gentile, everything fine, he converted, but to be a king, he cannot be. So when Agrippas heard that, started to cry. And all the Chachamim felt bad for him, because it was a good, uh, good, uh, good man. They say to him, don't worry, Agrippas, you are our brother. The Gemara said that that second, a dead sentence was written to all of them. Why? Because they made him feel like what's written in the Torah here, it's not fair. Like, the, like these modern university speakers, like this idiot from London. If you feel the words of Chazal are sometimes musky, musty, musky, where did they get this word from? 
מסטי או מסקי? מסקי. מסקי? תבוס. אז מסטי אין מסקי? If you think the words of Chazal is musky, I also think so. Ah, even someone is a judge in Beddin. Do not be afraid of anyone. Like they say, Lo taguru mipneish. Do not be afraid of anyone. Then you have people that are kissing up wicked people in front of other people, whether they eat there and whether they're not there. Even though he does not justify sin, he just says he's a good man. He's a good man. That's what's written in Proverbs 28, verse 4. People who live the Torah, Praise the weekend, but it's the other way around. Those who live the Torah praise the weekend. Those who pray the, praise the weekend, it count like they left the Torah. You understand? Kizea Meshabeach, this one that praises them, Lulesha Zava Torah, if he did not leave the Torah, if he would not become. Someone who neglects now the Torah, he will never dare to praise someone that breaks the rules of the Torah. Will never dare. Would you ever see a judge in a court in America that come publicly and praise a murderer? He did such a nice thing. Can he be a judge after that? I admire those thieves who robbed Macy's. Can he be a judge? It's a joke. If someone breaks Shabbat and you praises him, what does it show about you? He will not recommend the wicked to others to say he is a, a great person, have mercy on him, like this Rasha from Long Island did. Someone that does this, it's very bad. Rameod. Not bad, Rameod. Because those who listen think that we should honor those people. He said that they are good people. We should honor them. Conclusion. Someone that respects the righteous does what Hashem wants. When He created the world, He wanted people to give honor to their kosher, talmidei chachamim and tzaddikim. And someone who abuses the righteous or disrespects him, he goes against the intention of Hashem, the exact opposite of what Hashem wants. Oy la ve'oy l'shcheno. Oy to the wicked and oy to those who go and get near them and attach to them. Run. Why do you come too close to him? Run away from him. When you respect the wicked, automatically you put down the righteous. Do you understand why, right? If you praise the murderers, you are putting down their victims. If you are praising the wicked, you actually say that righteous are nothing. This is who you should be, obviously. And now there is a very big trap to the world when you respect the wicked. 
That's why you have to be careful not to say one good word about the wicked people. Never compliment a Mechalel Shabbat. Never dare. Never. And don't look for those stupid excuses. They don't know. They never hear. They never learn. Everybody knows. Everyone, Rashi say, everybody knows Shabbat is a special day. It's not in Okshin Who told you not to come and check? Many others checked and they changed. You should have also come. And we'll never mention them for good. Shenemar Shem Reshaim Irkav. They ask Rabbi Victor Miller Zatzal. If you're allowed to say on a weekend, Shem Reshaim Irkav, and Imach Shimam. Say it's mitzvah. Mitzvah. Every time you mention them to say that Hashem should bury them, that their name should be erased. Of course, what's the question? People who fought against Hashem and the Torah and the yeshivot and you want to give them respect? Toavat tzadikim ish avel A despicable wicked is abomination in the eyes of the tzadikim. If you're not allergic to these wicked people, all these crazy lunatics that does horrible things in parades and all other things and they go against the law of nature and they rebel against Hashem if you do not despise them then there's a very big problem because if you are really righteous they would be despicable in your eyes if you do not want to speak about the wickedness at least make sure not to say one positive things about them. If you don't fulfill your obligation by speaking against them, at least don't come and say they're great. Such a great guy. Someone that prays the wicked in front of him and say what a nice person you are. He doesn't compliment him in public. They're just alone, him and him, the same room, both of them. Right? He knows not to compliment him in public. People may go and follow him. It's bad. Right? With a kissing up mouth will destroy his friend. That friend will think that he's really good and will feel great about it and will never repent. Even if the whole world tell you that you are righteous, don't believe them. Consider yourself wicked. I'm not righteous. I'm far from being righteous. I used to tell Benji, Benji, Benji a tzaddik. He got angry. He said, Rabbi, don't call me a tzaddik. Why? He learned. He practiced what he learns. If somebody tells you such a, you're such a great chacham, you're such a great tzaddik, you should tell him right away, I wish. I wish it was true. You're so great. I wish it was true. You're so holy. God forbid, don't say things like this. You don't really know what holy is. That's the right approach. Also in your heart, don't dare to believe this nonsense. Because if you think that you are holy and righteous, you will be nothing. You understand? If you have friends, some of them compliment you, and some of them rebuke you and speak harsh to you, Follow those who rebuke you, not those who compliment you. Those who compliment you will bury you. Those who rebuke you strongly, they may save you. And today it's the, it's the exact opposite. 
someone speak hard to you, I don't want to ever see his face here. Someone compliment you, ah, come, you're welcome. Hashem will cut all smooth tongues. Sleazy, sneaky. Some kiss up, kissing up to strong, violent people. Why? They know they have power. This guy's a gangster. This guy's the head of the mafia. This one, the head of a big organization. You don't want to mess with people with so much power. This one is the head of the shul. He has like a hundred millionaires in his shul. He has a lot of power. They're behind him, all these people. So you're kissing up to this Rashaim, and where is Hashem here? They are stronger than Hashem. This is what Chazal say, כל המכניף לחברו לשם כבוד, לסופו נפטר בקלון. Everyone who wants honor by praising the wicked, his end, when he die, he will die in shame. In a, in a terrible shame. Someone who connects to the wicked, he does not compliment him, does not praise him, but he becomes his friend. Friends! Doesn't bother him that he's Mechalel Shabbat. But does not bother him that he sells drugs to, to kids. Does not bother him he never pray and he eats not kosher and everything else that he does. Doesn't bother him. His friend, is my cousin Rabbi. Well, we grew up together. How many thousands of times you see things like this? He has a punishment. He will be punished for every time you with, you with him. Now that he's not, not only is not rebuking him, he's bringing him closer and showing him there's nothing wrong with you. Look, I'm your buddy. If you were bad, I would be such a good friend of yours. That's, the, that's the, how the wicked think. If the rabbi loves me so much and he sits with me and, he, and you know, all day, he knows that I'm Chalel Shabbat, never told me anything. That means it's not so bad. But he has another punishment. Why? Shenemar, it's written, When you connect to a chazayahu, the wicked guy, Paratz Hashem et ma'asecha. Your blessings are gone away. Hashem broke through your wall, your protection. Why? Because you connected to the wicked man. Vatzadikim mu'asim ha'reshaim. You want to know if you're righteous? Rule number one, you despise the wicked. So remember, every time you see someone, I don't care who he is, speaker, rabbi, leader, whatever you want to call it, that speaks highly of wicked people such as gays and mechalelei Shabbat and big thieves and all kinds of not modest women and secular politicians and Democrats and who knows what else. Every time you see someone like that, you will know that he's nothing better than them. Because a real righteous person cannot look at them. Forget about to compliment. Just look at them and want to vomit. Ugh. Goosebumps to see these people. How many righteous people I know, they don't go to any event not to, not to see these kind of people. They don't come. Why? I don't want to be around them even one minute. Can't. It kills me. Kills my neshama. My rabbi never ever got on a plane. Never leaves Jerusalem. 
we begged him, I said, come be sandak, just for one day. I said, I can't, can't leave Yerushalayim. I cannot go into an airport. Airport is Saddam. Five, six hours, you see all naked people, all kinds of idol worshippers, all kinds of filthy people. Just being around them should make you sick. If you were really righteous, problem with us are we so far from being righteous, Hashem Erachem. Lo lechinam alach azarzir etzel haorev ela shuumino. When you see one guy runs to compliment another wicked guy and protect him and try to push him and promote him, he's like him. Yeah, he's like him. He wants to put him in a website that everybody would listen to his garbage. It's nothing better than him. Because if you know that what he speaks is heresy, you will do everything you can not to let him go on here. You wouldn't beg someone to put him in that everybody else would listen to this heresy. They don't care about Hashem. He's my friend from the university in Manhattan. So what if he's your friend? And Hashem is not your friend. He's an enemy of Hashem with the garbage that comes out of his mouth. You're not allowed to look at the face of a wicked person. Remember, this is Orchot Tzadikim, the most important Musar book in Jewish history. Everything you know today came from here. All other Musar books came from this one. It's all close to a thousand years ago. You know, so don't say, I say. I'm not a side here. There are many traps when you connect to the wicked. One, because he's an enemy of God, and by you being with him and giving him love, that means you hate God. If Reuven hates Shimon, and you want to hug Shimon in front of Reuven, that means you hate Reuven. How can you hug him in front of my eyes when you know he hurt me so much? How? You run to hug someone who spits on your own father? In front of your father? How can you do such thing? You love someone that hates Hashem. What does it say about you? A servant of a master does not go to talk to someone that hates his master. That's a betrayal. Second, you learn from his actions. If you're with him, you become like him. Third, other people would think if you're with him, that means it's fine. So they also will, go, will become his friend and become wicked like him. Then he will steal from them. He will convince them to do horrible things. It's all on you. Because of you, they went there. One person with a yarmulke who goes into a non-kosher restaurant that it's really not kosher. And they have all kinds of papers, but it's not a kosher. And someone sees him with his beard and big yarmulke and he assumes that it's kosher, otherwise this chassid would not eat here. But he goes in and another one goes in and all of a sudden the whole town is going there and in the end they find out five years later they were eating treif. The first one pays for all of them. You the reason they all came here. They see by him things that are not allowed to see. 
if they would rebuke him, he would repent. But they didn't, so he stayed wicked. Someone that stick with the Rasha and connect to him, it's just a matter of time until this wicked guy controls him. He will fall in his hand. I've seen it many times. I've seen it. I've seen a place that the rabbi over there was always protecting one Rasha that was on his boat. And what happened in the end? That Rasha one day made a revolution against the rabbi there and was trying to steal the shul from him. The rabbi fell in the hand of that Rasha that he was defending. And the Chachamim say, and if not you, your son will fall in his hand. And if not your son, your grandson. But it will happen for sure. God forbid. Always connect to God-fearing people. Rish Lakish did not speak to one wicked person after he became a Baal Shuvah. If he spoke to someone on the street, all the rich people ran to give him money. Invest for us. How do you want me to invest if you don't even know who I am and what I'm, what's my business? We don't need to know. If this Baal Tshuva, Rish Lakish, spoke to you, for sure you're righteous. Because after he became religious, he never spoke another word with his ex-friends, all the Rishayim. Not to his cousins, not to his brothers, and not to anyone that he was in charge with, in connection with. Why? Either I'm with Hashem all the way, or I'm one leg over there and it's nothing. I gotta clean my history. I don't want anything to do with these guys. Not Jews, not Goim, no one. Ah, he's a good guy. He was with me in a gang when we used to rob. It's not as bad as the other ones. Why you even look at his face, Bechlal? You know exactly what they do. No, but it's hard to change in one day. It's not hard. Do it. If you promote a judge that is not honest, it's not enough a Talmid Chacham, it's like putting an idol in the heart of the nation of Israel. Especially if there's a big Talmid Chachamim around that deserve the job and you give it to him just for politics reasons. It's count like you put an idol inside the altar of Bet HaMikdash. Someone that can rebuke and does not rebuke, it's close to kissing up. Not 100% kissing up, but it's count almost like kissing up. Why? Because those who you do not rebuke them think, if he doesn't say anything, that means what I do, it's fine. And the Torah says, You gotta clean the bed among you, from among you. Someone that can speak to his own family members and he doesn't care and doesn't say anything. Every one of their sins goes to his account. It's his fault. You, the father, why did you let it happen? Why I never did anything about it? When you saw that your children starting to go off, why didn't you do something about it? So you will be responsible for all their sins. That's why if you see someone begin to brainwash your kids and make them not such great righteous people, immediately cut them off completely from your children's life. Even if it's their grandparents. There's no exception to the rule. You are responsible to return to Hashem the souls that He put in your hand to raise, which is your children. 
if, you're not, if it's not your fault that the kid found something one day when he grew up and he became wicked, it's not your fault. You gave him the right education and he has his own Yetzirah. But if you exposed him to things and when you finally saw that something is not right, you did not cut it out, you're going to be guilty for everything. So make your brain overcome your heart. Brother, sister, doesn't matter. Throw them out of your life. Don't let your children be exposed to Reshaim. You're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And in Olam HaEmet, you will never forgive yourself. Make sure you understand who you bring into your house for Shabbat. You're allowed to do Kiruv, but if there is one to a million chance that it will ruin your children, you are dismissed from it. Don't bring any secular people to your house for the Shabbat meal. If your kids go away and you and your wife are alone, bring as many as you can. Why not? But if your little kids will see them with their tattoos and ponytails and then they go out and smoke and they play cards in a room and they sleep without a shirt, what do you think is going to happen to your children? In three months they'll become like them. <laughs> kids, it's fragile. They go to where the weed takes them. Someone who can rebuke the people of his community and doesn't is guilty for all their crimes. Someone that can rebuke the people of his city and does not do it is guilty of all their crimes. Someone that can rebuke the whole country and he doesn't rebuke is guilty of all their crimes. Someone that can rebuke the whole world and does not do it is guilty of the crimes of all the people in the world. You understand how severe we're talking here? It's severe, very serious. We're almost done. Someone who sees the people in his place that is stiff-necked, stubborn, they say, he say, they won't listen to me if I rebuke them. Who's to say they will rebuke, they would listen? Because of that, he doesn't rebuke them. That's also a sin, and he's guilty. He's going to pay for it. Why? How do you know? You try, and they won't listen. But if you won't try, you will never know. Leave them alone. That in a coach in Ishbu, I can't stand these fakers. None of them is a Tinokshin Ishba. One out of 10,000 maybe is. Alzen and Shutzadikim Murim Bechorban Bait Rishon. If you know for sure that this person is violent, aggressive, arrogant, he cannot stand rebuke, and he won't listen anyway, or sometimes even make fun of it then you don't have an obligation to rebuke him. Al ze neemar al tochach letz penis neicha. Keshem she mitzvah lomar davar anishma, kach mitzvah shelo lomar davar sheno nishma. Same way as an obligation to say something that will be heard, possibly. It's mitzvah not to say something that there's no chance that it will be heard. You know, this guy is a real kofer, leitzan, is looking for attention, no point of talking to him. Only gonna make things worse. Leave him alone. Let him die in his own sin. When he comes to Hashem, he will understand that because he was like that, nobody wanted to rebuke him. Someone that listened to Lashon Hara, gossip, 
people who disrespect Chachamim, Rabbis, Torah, Mitzvot, make fun at Mitzvot, make fun at speaker, make fun at Rabbis, must rebuke them, contest. Be zealous for the tzaddik that they talk about. Don't be jealous with wicked people and don't ever desire their company. It's a verse in Proverbs 24, verse 1 and 2. Why do you want more clear than that? I'm bringing one source after the other. The last thing and we finish for today, is someone that respects the wicked because he doesn't like fights. That's a very common thing. Many people find this excuse. I'm not a... I'm tired of wars. I used to fight. I gave up. I'm not a man of war. So I'm not complimenting them, I'm not justifying their wicked way, but I don't want to start to fight with them. It's too much for me, I can't take it. That's also a sinner and is guilty. You only allow to pretend that you give respect to a wicked person if there is a serious fear that he will attack you. Could be a, a gangster, a murderer, a governor, a wicked judge, anti-Semite, things like this. That if you will start rebuking them, they're gonna put you 10 years more in prison, or will kill you, or will execute you, or who knows what. <clears throat> Can beat you up in public. Then, okay. Or he can cause you a big financial damage. So like you pretend you give him respect. You go, ah, good morning. And try to run away from there. This was all the negative rebuke. Why well, when it comes to your wife in the house or to your husband, you have to kiss up, you have to give compliment, even false ones even when they don't deserve it. Like the Rambam said, person, you know what I say, should respect his wife more than he respects himself. Because what he thinks, for me it's enough, it may not be enough for him. And she should respect her husband more than, more than the average. What does it mean more than the average? Meaning what you think is the best you can do, do a little better. One advice you can, I can give you is, if you're a woman, you should always tell your husband everything you're about to do, ask his opinion. That's what the Chachamim say. Ask, Rambam say, ask your husband before everything you do. You want to buy a, some kind of a furniture. What do you think? Which one I should get? You want to buy clothes for yourself. You want to buy a watch, whatever you want to buy. Ask him like you're asking his opinion and permission. Now I know what the lady thinking. I'm a feminist. I make more money than him. I have to ask him. Don't worry. You don't have to worry. 
You know why you don't have to worry? Try it. Take a hundred women. Let all of them ask their husband what he thinks they should do. Should I buy this? And the answer of all of them would be, do whatever you like. <laughs> Try it. If I'm right, do it. If not, don't do it. Go. Do a test. Itzik, what do you think I should get? The red shoes or these uh, green shoes? Whatever you like. I'm good with both of them. Itzik, what should I do? Should I buy this cheese or that cheese? I don't care. What do you think is better? So what, if that's the case, and anyway, he lets you choose whatever you want, why do you have to put that show? It's crucial for Shlombait. Crucial. Because he thinks you respect him like a king. I have the last word here. Even though in the end she make all the decisions. <laughs> How many times when I was in business, I used to sit with the men in a multi-million empire business. Big auto parts, big catering company, hotel, all kinds of high-tech. After all the efforts and you're already finding, you know, you finally close the sale, you fill up all the paperwork, now comes the final signature. He say, oh wait, leave the papers, I'll get back to you tomorrow. What, what happened? Anything wrong? No, I didn't ask the boss yet. I told you the boss. No, my wife. She's the boss. Well, let's put it that way. In European countries, it's more common that the wife is the boss. In the Arab countries, it's the other way around. The power boss. And sometimes it's good that the wife is the boss. If she has a stupid husband, she might as well be the boss in everything. <laughs> Even in the things that the Torah say that he should be the boss, what happens if his wife is smarter and she understands much more than him in, all, in almost everything? So what's better? That he should still be the boss? No. That's like forcing us to follow Sleepy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't know his name. He wants us to leave Trump and go with him. One person got very angry that I'm a Trump supporter. His, so wife, I, his wife is Jewish. Right? So I said to I said to Biden. Biden's wife is Jewish. Yeah. I didn't know. That means it, no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was not yeah. I said, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't too All right. Anyway, what I'm saying to you is, what, what I said to that guy, I do not support him as a human being. I always say his character is problematic. I only complimented him for always being with Israel. He was very good to the Jews here. And every decision he made while he was a president was a proper and right decision. I never say such a tzaddik, he's a mashiach, he has such a great person. No, that's not what I say. He has his issues. He has his history. Like other politicians, they have plenty of issues themselves. But when it comes to every one of decisions, do you need a wall between the United States and Mexico? Millions yes. of people gather, smuggled into this country, brought drugs, prostitution, crime, and all kinds of other problems? The answer is absolutely. It's a necessity. And you see right away, they canceled that project and see what's happening now. It was right. 
Did he need to put China on their knees for stop taking advantage on us for decades? Absolutely. Same thing with Canada and Europe and everything. Did you have to go against Iran and stop being naive and thinking maybe the Iranian will sign few toilet papers and one day they're going to drop a bomb on your head and that will be the end of you? Absolutely, it was right. So what's the problem? I don't understand. Did he have to stop the stupidity of Hussein Obama and every one of his stupid decisions? Absolutely. Is he a righteous Baal Midot? No. <laughs> but he got the job done. So what's better? A polite liberal lefty that speaks very nice and doesn't call anyone names but every one of his decisions is a destruction to the country and to the world or someone arrogant and sleazy and proud and loud and uh, whatever but every one of his decisions was life-saving and very productive for the country and for the world what's better I leave the decision to you in the next election. <laughs> Until then, we'll see you next Tuesday. Baruch Adonai Amen.